1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I'm April Vokey, and you are listening to Anchored. My chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the outdoors today. Join me as I travel to sit face-to-face with my guests in their own homes to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both indoors and out. Daniel Gallardo was born in Brazil, but came to the States as an exchange student where he fell in love with trout fishing. When Daniel accidentally stumbled on the topic of tenkara fishing, he was immediately intrigued. Tenkar is an old form of fly fishing that uses only a rod, line, and fly, but no reel. Daniel committed himself to learning more about its history, and in 2009, he founded Tenkara USA. In this episode of Anchored, we talk about how Daniel became the man responsible for popularizing the method within the USA, and we dive into the specifics of how it's done, its advantages, disadvantages, and how it compares to other forms of fly fishing. So I was born in Curitiba, which is southern Brazil, and that's where I was raised until 17 years old. And at that time, I uh, became an exchange student, moved to California oh. uh, for my last year of high school, and now I'm here in the States. So did you get into fly fishing in Brazil? I did. So I grew up fishing. You know, my earliest memories are actually of fishing. As a matter of fact, pretending to fish because I had a little plastic toy rod that I fished next to my dad. But I grew up fishing when I was about 14, totally picked up the fishing bug, and that's all I could think of. And then fly fishing just kind of came onto my radar. And at a first glance, I was like, that's a weird sport. I don't need to do it because I got my lures. They're working. But then it kind of stayed with me. And I became very intrigued by the beautiful casting. And then I started tying flies. That was kind of my 
way to make lures early on. And that led me into actually picking up a fly rod. And then I taught myself how to fly fish in Brazil uh, when I was about 15, 16 years old. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when you got to California, mm-hmm. was there a particular fishery that interested you? Yeah. So I was pretty lucky when I moved to California. I was in uh, Fresno, which is right on the foothills of the Sierras. Uh, so I'm just a little over an hour from Yosemite. So yeah, that's really where I cut my teeth into fly fishing for trout, you know. So growing up, you know, fishing for warm water species in Brazil, and then I picked up a fly rod. And to me, a trout was the quintessential fly fishing fish. And so it was pretty fun to kind of get to North America and start targeting trout, catching those in the Sierras, uh, in the Sierra Nevadas. And I fish all the streams out there. Now you stayed here. And then I stayed, yeah. So I felt really home. Sometimes I joke that I stayed for the trout. Uh, (laughs) But I ended up going for, you know, to college. And and then eventually I met my wife as well in college and stayed for that. And uh, I've been here for a little over half of my life now, 19 years. Wow. Do you ever get back to Brazil? Every couple of years, two to three years. I'm going to go at the end of this year. There's all these other places that I like visiting too. So it's hard to make time to travel as much as I want to travel. Uh, But yeah, we're going to go. My parents have been bugging me because I haven't been back in three years or so. Okay, so talk to me about Tenkara because that's obviously what I would like to talk to you about. When did that enter your life? Yeah, no, and we've been meaning to sit down for for a long time. It's been years, uh, yeah. Yeah, we've been talking about it. So, and, and maybe... Just to introduce people, you know, to what Tenkara is very briefly, you know, it's this Japanese method of fly fishing that's really simple, uses rod line and fly, no reel. But the way it got into my life was uh, in 2007, my wife and I got married, and Margaret, my wife, she's Japanese-American. So she was born and raised in L.A., but she and her parents live in L.A., but she has relatives in Japan. And we started talking about going to visit her grandparents and a couple of cousins that she has. And I told her I really want to spend time with your grandparents, but I also really want to fly fish when I get there. Because I had this image of beautiful, crystal clear water, you know, in the mountain streams in Japan. I knew they had some native trout as well. And then I started doing some research on fly fishing in Japan. And if you look at a map of Japan, you know, it's surrounded by an ocean and it's got mountain. I mean, 70% of Japan is covered in mountains. Mm. So in each one of those has, you know, watersheds and streams. So I kind of had a theory that there must be a fly fishing tradition in Japan that we don't didn't really hear about. You know, once in a while, I'd see a trip report of somebody going to fish in Japan, but never really heard anything of a, from a Japanese point of view kind of thing. So I started doing some research on the fly fishing culture in Japan, and also where could I fly fish? And I came across this book called Angling in Japan. It was published in 1939, so right before the war, in English. And it was part of a collection of short booklets that the Japanese Board of Tourism was publishing to introduce Japanese culture to people. And this one was dedicated to fishing. And it had all methods of fishing in there. But one of them really caught my eye because he had this beautiful black and white photographs. And he talked about a Japanese angler not using a reel, but using flies to catch trout in the mountain streams. And there's a picture of a mountain stream, the type of stream that I like fishing. And then I learned it was called Tenkara. And then I went to Japan, got to see a Tenkara rod in person. You know, and my first thought is like, because they're telescopic, you know, so you have a 12 foot long rod that collapses down to 20 inches. I was like, that's going to be perfect for backpacking. And then the, the clerk at the store showed me I just needed this little spool line, some flies. I was like, wow, that's super minimal and it's going to be great. Uh, so I bought a rod, 
brought it back to the States and started fishing in the Sierras. And I kind of thought that people needed to know about it. So that's kind of how Tenkara got into my life. Wow. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the history of Tenkara then. Mm -hmm. Do you know much about that? Some. So, you know, we don't know as much about the history of Tenkara as we might about Western fly fishing because, so Tenkara was a method of fishing that was originally developed by commercial anglers in the mountain streams in Japan. So just to talk about what these commercial anglers were. So these were very, very poor people, probably some of the poorest people in Japan. They had no land uh, to farm and they had a way to find, you know, they had to find a way to sustain themselves. So they, you know, they had streams nearby. They started catching fish uh, for themselves, for their families, for to sell and barter with their neighbors. So the commercial anglers were the ones that developed it, but they were illiterate. And, you know, kind of like farmers, they were not interested in writing about, you know, what they were doing. So it's actually very interesting because the earliest record that we know of Tenkara didn't happen until, I forget what the year was, it's actually my book, but like 1800s. There was a British diplomat that lived in Japan and he was also a mountaineer, so he used to spend time in the mountains and he talked about a Japanese angler using a fly and no reel to catch fish. So it's kind of amazing the actual records that we have are not very good. But we estimate roughly four or 500 years is how long Tenkara has been around. You know, and mostly when the technology for making fine hooks was kind of becoming um, better. The Japanese Uh, are part of that as well, right? Part of that evolution? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, fishing, I think, fishing and fly fishing, I think, developed independently in several parts of the world, right? I mean, you kind of have records in, like, Greek, you know, the Greek records, and then you have some British records and that type of thing. We do know, for example, actually, I met this one family, really interesting. They were not exactly Tenkara, because there's all these different methods of fishing that are kind of similar. But my first trip to Japan... I met uh, this family called the Memboso family, and they are a gen- uh, they are a twenty at this point I think twenty five generations of fly tires. Wow, four hundred years of time flies, and Memboso their last name is actually it means something like needle maker. So the back in the day, most people didn't used to have a last name unless they were kind of important. But these guys were making needles for the local lord. And with the needles, they started making these little flies that were actually used to catch ayu, you know, which is a different type of fish. We can talk about that if you want. But kind of similar to fly fishing, I guess, still fly fishing in some aspects. But there you have, you know, like uh, 400 years of fly tying. They're still around. They're still tying flies. They have a little street, you know, uh, named after them, the Mimbosa Street in Kanazawa. And, you know, I met like the 23rd generation tire. It was like incredible. That is really incredible. <laughs> yeah, so that's something. Were, the were they prideful? Um, you know, it's always hard to know because they're also so humble, you know, in, in a certain way. But yeah, there's definitely that pride. I mean, you go, they actually do have a website, you know, uh, if anybody wants to look it up is M-E-B-O-S-O. You know, you can probably find their flies and that kind of thing. And yeah, I mean, who wouldn't be, right, if you have 23 generations of fly tires behind you? <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about how Tenkara works. So you've got a telescopic rod ranging from lengths of... Like 10 feet, roughly, uh, okay, to about so 15 feet. Oh, to yeah. 15 feet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So where do you draw the line between Tenkara and, is it called dapping? Well, yeah. So dapping, you know, that's a great question. So 
there's a couple of so yeah let's talk a little bit about the rod so 10 12 feet is the average length of a 10 cut rod very long you're using a fixed length of line at the end of the rod and a fly at the end of that uh typically with 10 you're actually casting you want to have a very precise cast it's an overhead cast i mean for those of you familiar it's more like a steeple cast where you cast the line up a little bit more and then you shoot your fly down first into the water how are you loading it with the with the weight of that tiny the, fly? The weight of the line, yeah. So the Of the monofilament. Yeah, yeah. So the line designed for Tenkara is specifically designed with a goal of casting. You want to have as light a line as you can so that the line stays off the water uh, for a long distance, but it needs to be heavy enough to load the rod. And then the rods are designed to cast a line. So the rods have a very fine tip and that kind of thing. Right. But then when it comes to dapping, you know, and dapping can mean a couple of different things. It can mean it's either a technique uh, one of the little techniques that we use within fly fishing or fishing, you know, you can have a fly rod and you dap your fly, you lower your fly into the water. Yeah, just so uh, people know what that is, it's mm-hmm. it's basically just like standing above the water and mm-hmm. lowering your fly down onto the water, mm-hmm. uh, and then I guess just kind of That's, hovering it there, or I guess it's touching the water, touching but the water or lowering. It's just yeah. the fly on the water. Yeah, so no that, line exactly. So that's kind of like one of the one of the techniques that is very effective with tenkara with a western fly rod and so forth. But dapping is also its own method of fishing, right? right? So like in the UK, there's actually a book, you know, entirely devoted to dapping. Which, you know, I didn't know much until I started researching that years ago. But it's a method of fishing that uses very long rods, but actually uses a reel and running line. And then they have what they call the blow line. So the dapping method actually oftentimes uses the wind to carry the fly out into the distance. And then you're kind of doing a similar thing where you're making your fly kiss the water and that kind of thing, right? Yeah. So... In the method of dapping, you don't cast. You let the wind kind of take it around or you lower it. The The technique of dapping is one of the many techniques we can use with a tenkata rod. But you can use that with a western fly rod as well. You know, it's uh, when I, as, as a matter of fact, when I started fly fishing for trout, that was probably one of my favorite techniques. You know, it was just kind of like once in a, in a very small stream, you lower your fly in a little pocket and touch the water a few times and a fish might come. But I actually find that dapping is not very efficient with tenkata. It's not a very effective technique because, so just to kind of go back into the description of tenkata, you have a 12-foot long rod. When you're starting off, a line about the same length as the rod, uh, the main casting line, to the end of that, you add about four feet of tippet, and then you fly. So that's the rig. But oftentimes, you also use a longer line than a rod. So like, let's say a 12-foot rod, 15 feet of casting line, four feet of tippet, and you fly. And what are you doing with that line? Is it balled up in your hand? No, it's just in front of you. It's in the water. Uh, so you're, you know, you're casting, uh, letting the fly drift. You don't have any drag, so the line is off the water. Let it drift. When it gets to the end of your drift, you just kind of cast again. Or if you're moving around, it might be balled up in your hand. But dapping can be a little challenging to do with a tenkata rod, actually, because oftentimes your line is a little longer than the rod. And it's actually easier to do with a western fly rod. So, so yeah, the, there's definitely a lot there um, in terms of the dapping, casting te- in tenkata. Okay, so you said that the line needs to be a certain weight to be able to load the rod. So mm-hmm. what would that look like? I mean, are you using 30-pound monofilament? Yeah, so actually there's a lot of different types of lines that are used in Tenkata. We try to keep it kind of simple, you know, at Tenkata USA. I mean, that's kind of my mission, you know, to simplify fly fishing, make it so it's not intimidating for somebody to pick it up. But there's a big variety of lines. We we keep it simple, but you can 
research and learn about all the different types of lines that are out there. But the, the main line that we sell at Tencario Sea at the moment is a, it's a taper nylon line. So it pretty much looks like a fly fishing leader. Uh, we have a couple different lengths, you know, like 12 feet or 14 feet and a half, roughly. And it's a very, very high visibility uh, line. So it's tapered uh, and you're able to cast it and that kind of thing. So that's one type. And we don't classify it by weight and that kind of thing because it's a little bit of a different story, but roughly 20-pound test, you know, if you if you average it out and that kind of thing. Sure. But the other type of line that is very popular is what we call the level line. So that's a level diameter line. Pretty much looks like a spool of fishing line, except that it's a very high visibility, very low memory, little higher density line as well. Um, not to get too caught up on that, but that allows you to cut whatever length of line you want. So that's the other thing that sometimes people have a t- hard time understanding. So usually when you're starting off with Tenkara, you want a line that is roughly the same length as the rod. But I personally fish larger rivers a lot. So I'm us- usually my main rig is probably a 14-foot rod, uh, and I'm usually using about 20 feet of line, four feet of tippet, and fly, which allows me to have really good reach over the other side of currents and that kind of thing. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different lines that you can use. Uh, How do you differentiate between like a check nymphing line mm-hmm. and a Dinkara line? Um, they're just different. I mean, yeah, it's uh, you can probably cross purpose, you know, lines and that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. the main goal with a Tenkara line, as I said, it's like to have this really accurate, precise casting. You're doing a pinpoint cast where you shoot your fly exactly where you want it. And the flies are light, you know, you're not using weighted flies like you might in check nymphing. So the line has probably to be a little bit heavier. We, But we do get a lot of people that buy our lines to use for their check nymphing techniques, you know. So it's... Um, I mean, George Daniels, huge into your nymphing. Yeah. Uh, he uses our rods, actually, but he also uses our lines and that kind of thing. So there's, there's, there's a some lot crossover. Of, yeah, mix and matching. And- exactly. And a, and a lot of people, too, you know, because one of the things with European nymphing techniques, you mostly have a leader out. And your fly line is kind of within your rod oftentimes. A couple of the disadvantages of that is that the fly line might run back through the guides. You know, it might just kind of slip back and you have to kind of shake it out and you also have a lot of kind of line passing through guides and a lot of slack whereas with Tenkara you're doing a similar thing in a certain way but the line is attached to the tip of the rod it's not running back and you have a super sensitive system because it's just transferring all to your hand and that kind of thing so there's some things there but just to be clear too Tenkara is its own method of fishing so people adapt it and they use it for European techniques but there's a lot to be said about the Japanese style as well how do you define fly fishing? Well, you know, you're using a fly. Usually, I mean, in my opinion, <laughs> you know, like more of an unweighted kind of fly. So, like, I think at a certain point, you start having these super heavy flies that they cast like a lure. And it's like, really? I mean, you probably can cast that with a spinning reel as well. So, so for me, it doesn't have to be a weightless fly, but having an artificial fly is, of course, one component. The other one is the casting part of it. You know, so you're, in my opinion, making the line move to car- carry your fly forward. So that, to me, is kind of the essence of fly fishing. So is Tenkara technically fly fishing to Absolutely, you? yeah. Because yeah. you're casting, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're, I mean, there's all the same physics. You know, you're using very light flies. The line is what is carrying your fly forward. Uh, you have a very accurate cast. You know, you're usually not at the mercy of the wind as it's dapping. You're actually 
picking exactly the spots where you're fishing. You're not false casting though. It's a pick up and lay down, right? You usually pick up and lay down. You can't. Although false I did snake cast. roll and I was fishing with yeah. with Yvonne. I did do a snake roll with it. And that's a different conversation too, because Yvonne <laughs> has done things a little differently, right? Yeah, yeah. So he kind of combined some Western fly fishing techniques with Tenkata. So he'll use a Western fly uh, or a Western fly line with a Tenkata rod, which is a little different from what we do. Like a weighted fly line? Yeah, that's what no, he's like, using like a, a PVC. Like a plastic? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you probably used when you fish with them. <laughs> no, I think we were pretty, at that point, I mean, this was a long time ago. Well, I pretty much guarantee you. So like, I, I can tell you how I got to know Yvonne. It was like one of the first correspondences that we had. He, uh, he sent me a letter in this fly line. It was like a triple zero eight fly line. And he's like, you should use this line. All the Japanese lines are shit. Okay. <laughs> and, and I started casting with it. I was like, well, this is too heavy. You know, it's a PVC line. The Japanese lines are much lighter. So you're able to snake cast with that or do little T-snaps and that kind of thing. But yeah. usually the lines that we use with Tenkat are much lighter. And you're just, usually the casting, it is more of a pick up and lay down kind of cast. Partly because of the efficiency of it. You know, you're, you don't have to gauge your distance, you know, which is one of the main reasons people use false casting. Sometimes you can do it, but oftentimes you're not so concerned about drying your fly, you know, in the air with some false casting. Or distance, obviously. Or distance, because we know exactly what the distance is going to be. Like, it, that becomes very second nature very quickly. Cause but also you're not trying to cast far, right? Like, I false cast far. to go far. Exactly. So those are the three reasons, and we don't have those. Right. No, you know, it's minimalistic. So, mm-hmm. so what about if I put a fly on a spinning rod? Would that be me fly fishing? I mean, it's the same fundamental. I don't think so, no, because... Well, I don't, I don't think so because, I mean, in my opinion, you're making the line move to carry your fly forward. And on a spinning rod, that's really hard to do without adding a lot of weight. You know, so, it, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, you could get a striper fly that's heavy enough to cast with a little spinning rod. And yeah. I love this devil's advocate stuff. Do you think mm. that spay fishing with four-inch rabbit streamers is fly fishing? Um, yeah, I think it is definitely one of the techniques of fly fishing. You are making your line, shoot that thing out there, you know. So, it, And I try not to get too caught up on that, too, because that's kind of a – it's a rabbit hole. And it we is, also, it is. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, we've gone so much through that. So we've – I've been introducing Tenkara to the States for 10 years now. Yeah. And we had a period early on, like the first two to three years, where that was a central question. It's like, you know, it is if fly fishing and... I know, remember like, all of this. People love well, it. They yeah. love to debate it. Yeah. And like, I mean, I, you know, the, the late Lefty Cray, like, you know, I rode an elevator with him and I asked him what he thought about Tenkara. And he's like, well, in my opinion, it's not fly fishing and it's a fad and it's not going to stay here long. So... It's only been here for, you know, 600, 700 <laughs> yeah, right? years. But I guess years. In, in America, sure, Yeah, sure. but even in America now, it's like 10 years and that only happened for the first two to three years. But then... About two to three years in, we started having people like, um, well, Yvonne Chouinard for one, you know, just kind of coming out saying this is this is the quintessential fly fishing. And just to be clear, too, Tenkara is exactly how fly fishing started. So if you look at Isaac Walton's book, you know, or Charles Cotton, in the, uh, Charles Cotton in that case, they were describing a method of fishing that used 12 to 15 foot long poles. In their case, they were using wooden rods. You know, in Japan, they were using bamboo rods, but they were tying horsehair lines that were about similar length to the rod at the end of the rod, tying a fly at the end of that. So the Western fly fishing in Tenkara started exactly the same way. Julian the Durham's, you know, like when she described fly fishing, same exact thing. So yeah, the question of what is fly fishing, I personally don't 
want to get too caught up on that because fly fishing is whatever you want to make it. And some people have called me dogmatic and I'm, that's another topic because the questions went from, okay, is it fly fishing? And then it became, well, what is Tenkara? Is that Tenkara? Is this Tenkara? But, you know, early on we had people like Ivan um, uh, Chouinard and then we had John Girak publishing, you know, an article and then a book that has, you know, information about Tenkara and Girak lives up the street for me. He fishes with our rods, you know, so we started having all these big names coming out and fishing with Tenkara rods and they're like, yeah, this is fly fishing. There's no question about it. But when we look at a historical point of view, Western fly fishing Tenkara started exactly the same way. And just kind of briefly, one of the theories of why they diverged uh, became different is that in Western fly fishing, anglers were using wooden rods, which are relatively heavy. In Japan, they were using bamboo rods, which when you dry it up, they're not much heavier than a modern carbon fiber rod. You know, like you're looking at five ounces for a 15-foot long rod in Europe, maybe a pound, you know. So the theory goes that the Western fly angler had a, uh, an incentive to shorten the length of the rod, but then to have the same reach, you start making running lines. And then to manage the running lines, eventually you make up a reel. So in Japan, they had no incentive to do that. So that's kind of a, it's interesting to kind of look how the methods of fly fishing kind of diverge, but they're pretty much the same. And then even in Italy, actually Italy, there's a method of fishing called Pesca Valziziana. They continue doing it exactly the same as they do in Tenkara. So it's kind of interesting to see that as well. Let's talk about actually fighting fish. Mm -hmm. So how does it work? So I go ahead and I probably cast upstream and then uh, I'm presenting my fly. A fish takes, what do I do? Yeah, so the line is tied to the tip of the rod. Uh, a fish cannot run you know, very far. Um, a fish cannot run very far. No, because it's caught. I mean, it's Oh, like, you mean they can run far, but they can Well, they're caught in this bungee cord, right? So the, the line is tied to the tip of your rod. You catch a fish. The fish can make your rod bend a bunch and it can gain a few feet. But as long as you hold the pressure onto the fish, they can't really go 50 yards, you know, or whatever it is. And then you retrieve. This has to be species specific because you, would you wouldn't go bone fishing with a Tenkara rod. <laughs> You'll be surprised. <laughs> I mean, I see people do it with baby tarpon. Yeah. Yeah. There's baby tarpon uh, in the book there, in the Tenkara book that I wrote. There's some photos. There's like a 29 inch pike, you know, that somebody's caught. It's, yeah. I mean, to be fair, it's not a method of fishing designed for a very large fish. Like you're the steelhead gal. I, like I, I wouldn't recommend Tenkara for steelhead by any means. And what was Yvonne saying he does? He throws his rod into the oh, water. Yeah. <laughs> and then he goes and collects it later with the yeah, fish still on. He's trying to sell you more rods. Yes, <laughs> I guess. I know. So, yeah. So it's not a method of fishing that was designed for very large fish, but there have been plenty of steelhead caught on Tenkara too, actually. Um, some smaller salmon, like pink salmon, uh, Chris Hunt from Trout Unlimited took it up to Alaska, caught a bunch of pink salmon with it. But are they running to keep up with the fish or are they not, just... Uh, not usually. Um, it depends, right? So like I've got a video of my wife catching like a 24-inch rainbow uh, here in Breckenridge nearby and she's crouched down. She doesn't move a bit. She just keeps the rod angled. The fish was pretty hot, very strong, just kept bending the rod, but she just kind of kept it up and a fish will usually get very tired very quickly with Tenkara because you're forcing their head up oftentimes getting some kind of gulp of air but you know if you imagine I mean just imagine yourself you know if you kind of grab the end of a line from a reel and you run 50 yards with little resistance you can go and then somebody kind of retrieves you back and 
There's little resistance. You might go again. But now imagine the situation where somebody puts a lot of resistance there. Or maybe you just get a bungee cord. Like, just grab the end of a bungee cord and try to run. And that thing's going to pull you back. And you're not going to be able to go very far. You're going to get tired quickly. But they need to have a heavy bungee cord. And how sure. does that mm-hmm. work, though, with your fly line? Yeah. Do you have to have a um, like 20-pound tippet to your fly? No, not at all. We actually use roughly six-pound tippet is what we recommend. Uh, but the rod is the drag system. The rod does all the work. Mm-hmm. So if you look at a photo of a Tenkata rod or you look at our videos, and we have plenty of videos of catching large fish as well, you would just see the rod bending. And in the beginning, it's like bending to an absurd level. If you're coming from Western fly fishing, it's like, oh my God, that's, that rod is going to blow up. And it doesn't. You know, they're designed to have this kind of curve and take the pressure and they protect the fine tippet really well. So yeah, like the story of throwing the rod in water, um, you don't do that nowadays. You know, there's plenty of examples of people catching 25 inch, you know, 20, even 30 inch a trout or large bass or carp. Uh, and you don't have to do that with modern rods. Where that came from is like from way back in the day when people had wooden or bamboo rods, really hard to fix, hard to replace. Yeah, worst case, you catch a very large fish. You know, if it's about to blow up, you might as well toss the rod in the water, hope you can get it later. But that's not something that's really being advocated for at least 60 years. But then Chouinard probably read that somewhere and <laughs> decided that was the, the way to do to it. He loves to break the rules, too. Oh, totally. And there's He's that, too. That. And the adventure part of it, you know, I can concede that that would be fun. But, yeah, the modern carbon fiber rods that we make, they're very, very strong in the it's really rare actually to see breakages on fish okay. unless there's like some weak spot, you know, which happens on any fly rod. Now, because this podcast is my way of preserving the history, I do need to mention these pivotal moments like Yvonne Schwenard, obviously advocating for Tenkara. So let's talk a little bit about how that all came to be. Okay. So it kind of gives me goosebumps to think about the the, the history of Tenkara in the U.S. at this point, too, because I've been doing it for, I introduced Tenkara outside of Japan 10 years ago. And my background, I, you know, I've been fly fishing for a long time. I was interested in kind of businesses, uh, potentially eventually creating my own business. Business, then all of a sudden Tenkara comes into my life. But right before that time, I was reading Chouinard's book, uh, Let My People Go Surfing. I love that book. It's a great book. You know, it's a good business book. It has a lot of good business philosophies, if you will. And of course, like we all look up to him, you know, it's like, I mean, he's a visionary person, an adventurer, you know, there's few people that are not going to look up to what he's done and admire that. So there I am trying to create Tenkara USA, and and I actually studied business. I mean, that's my background, and I grew up with a lot of entre- entrepreneurs in my family, so that's kind of where I come from, so that's why I was always interested in business. But that book was one of the central ones in guiding how I was going to create my business. So when I was like thinking about introducing Tenkara to the U.S. before I really thought of what it was going to be. I was dissecting the book, just kind of absorbing these philosophies. And all of a sudden, you know, I launched Tenkara Yose. And about two months later, out of the blue, I get a letter from him and Craig Matthews, uh, the fly shop owner up in uh, West Yellowstone, saying that they'd been Tenkara fishing for a little while, for a few months at that time. And they, you know, and they saw that I joined 1% for the planet, uh, which is something that I joined before we even started. So we donate 1% of our sales to environmental organizations. So that's how they got wind of me, I think. And my mind was blown, you know, because I had been looking up to him. I had uh, been dissecting his book. And all of a sudden to know that Chouinard 
was fishing the Tenkara method and then getting a letter from him, it was like, yeah, I mean, absolutely mind blown. And we've been communicating for years, you know, we still do via handwritten letters and I save every of one of them. And, uh, and he's been one of our best ambassadors by far. You know, Shinard just talks about Tenkara nonstop. I mean, I, any opportunity over the last 10 years he's had, he's talked about Tenkara. Yes. Uh, I remember watching this business um, forum going on at Princeton University, I think it was, where he was one of the panelists and I was watching it online. And out of the blue, he brings up Tenkara. It's like, you know, so, so it's pretty cool. Um, I mean, but Patagonia has a Tenkara rod. Not anymore. Yeah. Okay, but they did. They did, yeah. So uh, a few years ago, uh, yeah, he had a rod that was, you know, the way he got into it, somebody gave him a Tenkara rod, something like 20 years ago, you know, and he put it in a closet, didn't touch it. And all of a sudden, a friend of his from Italy is visiting. He's like, oh, that's a Japanese, you know, Tenkara rod. And they went out outside his house and he started fishing with it. So that's how he picked it up, like right before I started my company. <sighs> And so all of a sudden he learns Tenkara, he realizes that he didn't need all this stuff to fish and, you know, and that's one of the interesting things about Tenkara. Like we've attracted two types of customers primarily. The people that are interested in fly fishing, that are completely new to it, but they, they're like, oh, this is a good, simple way to get into it. Or the very experienced fly anglers that are yes. like, okay, I don't need to use as much as I thought I needed. This is a new challenge. This is going to be fun. So, you know, John Girac, Yvonne Chouinard, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he picked it up and he runs with it. And Because he's fish is simple. I mean, I mm-hmm. got, I use the word guided loosely. He, he, I guided him on the Dean. I met Yvonne because I guided him on the Dean only because he needed to fish the river. He needed to have a guide. But he was one of my favorite guests and he fishes really simply. He hates stuff. Yeah, so, absolutely. And I think actually back then... He may have even mentioned Tenkara. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I know he was all about the, the soft hackles and like the simple flies. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no. I, the, so this is all adding up. All the pieces are starting yeah, to make yeah, sense Yeah, there's here. a good good amount of history there. And it's all kind of interesting how it comes together. And, you know, he and I fished together and I loved it. And and what was amazing too about him specifically is like he's fished all over the world for decades and he's still one of the most dedicated anglers I've ever fished with. I mean, we get to the water, he's like off. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, so that was one part of it where he kind of, and then when they picked up the Tenkara rod, he kind of combined his decades of Western fly fishing experience with this rod. Right. Uh, and from in my experience, what I the way I learned it was going to Japan and very early on, as a matter of fact, the very first month when I opened my company, I met the main master of Tenkara in Japan, Dr. Ishigaki. He is the main guy who's been promoting Tenkara in Japan since the late 70s. Mm-hmm. And he's well known as the main authority. He came to the States to do a presentation almost exactly a month after I opened Tenkara USA. And I went to meet him. That was at the Catskills Fly Fishing Century Museum. As far as I know, first time somebody was ever talking about Tenkara in the States, just coincidentally. And we hit it off super well. And he's immediately calling me. He's saying that I was gonna, he was going to be my Tenkara father, my Tenkara no, no Oto-san. And I was going to be his Tenkara son. So all of a sudden, I started learning Tenkara the way it's being done in Japan for hundreds of years or whatever. So like I kind of got that lineage. And that's been my focus, you know, on introducing Tenkara the way it's been practiced in Japan, sharing that story, not because of a sense of purity or anything like that, but honestly, because in my opinion, the way most of the Japanese anglers practice Tenkara is the best way to keep it very simple. They really do, like in terms of the flies, the lines, the techniques, everything. So yeah, like, you know, if you kind of start bringing too much Western fly fishing 
into Tenkara, you can complicate things pretty quickly. This episode of Anchored is brought to you by Poster Burner. Taking photos has never been easier, yet most of us just leave our photos to take up space on our phones. Personally, a lot of my photos never see a printer, leaving photos of my daughter and fish of a lifetime to get lost in archives. The truth is that printing photos can be daunting, but they can also be really expensive. Poster Burner takes those special pictures and turns them into posters and canvas prints for your home, decals and banners for your business, custom cases for your phone, and much more. With Christmas around the corner, Poster Burner is offering a 10% off discount to Anchored listeners. Simply go to posterburner.com forward slash anchored and create customized, meaningful gifts at reasonable prices. That discount applies to every type of print they offer, so it's a great way to get stocked up on printed imagery for work or home. Again, just head on over to posterburner.com forward slash anchored. It's interesting because I know that Yvonne thinks it's a great gateway or it's a great way for Absolutely. for new people. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you yourself said that you were interested in fly fishing because of the casting. Mm-hmm. Do you think that... Like personally, I think that for somebody who's new to fishing, who wants to catch fish, Mm -hmm. it's a great way to do it. For someone who's new to fly fishing and really wants to get into fly fishing, Mm -hmm. I think that they're kind of robbing themselves from the experience of the beautiful false cast. What are your thoughts on on that? Because per, like Mm -hmm. for me, I just look at myself in my evolution. I can definitely see myself tankara fishing because I've put in all that time. But I don't know if it's how I would want to start the sport. Well, okay, so I mean, there's a, there's definitely a few things to be said, and you're not wrong. So it's, um, so first of all, I think Tenkara is a tool and a quiver. You know, it's not, there's not going to be anything that does it all. So a spay rod, you probably want to go fishing in a small stream with it. You know, the same way I probably wouldn't want to go, you know, big steelhead with Tenkara. So it's one of the main tools in a quiver. It is also a great gateway drug. You know, so there's some people that will start with Tenkara. Well, let's just kind of go back a little bit. But some people might look at fly fishing and it's like, but then it's intimidating. And they not they do not want to stop at a fly shop or they think there's too many complications. They get intimidated by it. They don't pick up fly fishing because of that. So all of a sudden, we're giving one way to get into it. One of my good friends, Maureen Back, she's a famous rock climber, but she also has one arm. And she was always interested in fly fishing. Her husband, a good friend as well, big into fly fishing. She couldn't quite see the way to get into it early on. So she was really just focused on climbing. All of a sudden she sees a rod, she starts fishing with it. And now she's using reels and she's being like in you know some films and she's doing like some really cool stuff because she saw that entry opportunity. And she's one of the few that kind of took it as a, um, a gateway drug and also started using a reel. And a lot of people end up doing that as well. In terms of the casting uh, itself, Tenkara teaches you all the physics, all the mechanics of fly casting, first of all. Uh, in my analogy, has usually been that, you know, if you compare driving a stick shift with an automatic car, you got to time things, you know, with a, with a stick shift. If you're driving a manual, you got to learn your clutch and that kind of thing and the timing. With an automatic car, you get up and you drive. But oftentimes, you, once you kind of get that, you know, some of the basics of driving, you know, some of the basic, basics of casting, you can easily apply that to driving a stick shift. In this case, you pick up the casting mechanics with Tenkara. Pretty much every single person that I've ever taught can actually literally pick up the casting, learn how to cast in six to seven casts. Like, you know, that's... Impressive. Yeah. So, like, we spent two minutes, 
And they kind of get their first cast piling up. Second cast goes a little farther. By the sixth, seventh cast, it's going where they want to. So they pick up the the speed. They pick up the stops. So they pick all of that up. Um, so that's kind of like the the gist, the foundation, you know, of fly fishing. And you can apply it to other techniques as well. Um, but you got to recognize, too, that there's a lot more nuance to casting with a tenkata rod than there seems to be at a first glance. So you pick up all the tenkata within a few minutes. I mean, if you look at my book, there's 10 pages that give you the quick guides to tenkata. So you can pick up what you need to know to fly fish in 10 pages. But there's a reason there's another 100 pages after that or a little <laughs> bit more because there's some nuance. Like when you want to pick up casting certain directions, casting to the wind, casting under obstacles, you all build on the same foundation, but you're going to do things a little differently. So there's a ton of stuff to learn there. It's not... It's not simplistic, you know, that's, and that's why I've been doing this for 10 years. And that's why I've been going to Japan like every year for the last 10 years to learn from people because, yeah, I learned the foundation in a few minutes, but there's a ton of stuff to learn. It's simple on the surface, very complicated beneath. So talk to me about some of these complications. I mean, let's just look at it from a, from a regular fly fishing stance. So the, the a standard overhead cast would be pretty basic. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to put in a double hull. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the next step. Sure. What's the next step in Tenkara? Yeah. So in Tenkara, we don't focus that much on casting. Okay. So, so it's presentation that's next. Presentation will be next. I mean, there are some variations to the casting, but most of those are going to build on the very same exact cast. So the overhead cast, you just change the angles and the speed a little bit because you're not trying to cast, you know, a ton of heavy line, you know, like, you know, or if you're casting against the wind, you can penetrate the wind really well because you have this very thin line and so forth. So there is very, very little with the casting except for really intuitive things. So if you're trying to cast um, underneath an obstacle instead of kind of, let's say, do a bow and arrow cast, all you have to do is just change where you stop the rod. So instead of stopping the rod in front of you, like let's say at 2 o'clock, which is the usual uh, way you stop a tenkata rod, you might stop lower and you might also do it faster. So the fly kind of goes underneath. So it's all kind of building on that in terms of the casting. What we focus more instead on is the the actual fishing part of it. And yeah, presentation is one of those parts. But for example, reading water. You know, how do you know where uh, the fish really is going to be holding and behaving based on some currents, for example? So tenkata, like... Once you don't have to focus so much on all these different casting techniques, it allows you to kind of look a little bit more like, where's the fish going to be holding? How is he going to be based on this current? Lewis Cahill, actually, from uh, Gink and Gasoline, he's written a lot about that, how Tenkara can make you a much better angler because mm. he removes certain parts the of distractions. it. distractions. Some potential distractions to, to a lot of people. But let's talk a little bit about the nuances, things that you can learn a little bit more. One of the main things is techniques of presentations. And when we talk about presentation, we're not talking about how the fly is going to land in the water, but more how the fly is going to move in the water. So oftentimes in fly fishing, Western fly fishing, we focus so much on getting good dead drifts. And we still do that in Tenkara. I mean, probably 80% of my fishing is going to be how to get a really good drift. But then there's all these other ways to entice fish. So one of the common ways, you know, you have this reverse hackle flies, um, kind of like with the hackle facing forward. Yeah, they're fishy flies, those. Fishy flies. And, uh, they're ugly, but they're fishy. <laughs> they're ugly and they're fishy. Your tattoo is not ugly. But <laughs> Thank you. In real life, they can be ugly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I do have a tattoo on my arm of the, the, the uh, hackle facing forward fly. But one of the things you can do is if you pulsate the fly, 
twitch to fly up and down, Hakko opens and closes. Yeah. So that's one little technique. Or you can do like pausing and drifting on the fly. So you kind of have your rod tip upstream from the fly and you can pause it in a spot or you can pause it and let it drift, pause, let it drift. So there's all these little techniques. Uh, and one of the things, for example, that I learned, and this might be uh, helpful for y- your listeners who don't fish with Tenkata too, for example. One time I was fishing with my teacher in Japan and I was getting really good drifts, you know, because in Tenkata, it's actually very easy to get very good drifts. Your line is off the water. You don't have to mend. Uh, the line stays off the current, just pretty much above the fly. Oh, I but, could use this in New Zealand, I think. Actually, we'll talk about that after. Sure. Continue, yeah. Continue. So, you know, it's easy to get a really good drift, period. But one particular day, I was missing a lot of strikes. And at the end of the day, my teacher and I are having dinner, you know, this is in Japan. And I asked him, like, you know, I was missing all the strikes. Like, I wonder what I was doing wrong. And he was downstream from me. Uh, so he was watching me. And he said that what was happening was that as my fly drifted, the fly also swung towards my shore a little bit. So were you on the bank? I wasn't on the bank. Yeah, I mean, I was in, in, in the water, but close to the bank. Sure. Not uh, right behind the fish. Not right behind the fish. Now I was up. I was in that case upstream. So I was kind of fishing quarter across and kind of letting the fly drift, like on the other shore, roughly, sure. right? But he was telling me that the fly, as it kind of sw- as as it drifts downstream, he also swings a little bit mm. because I was keeping my arm close to my body the whole time, just following the fly with the tip of the rod. Ah. So he kind of gave me this little tip. He's like, "Okay, try this. Start with your arm close to your body." Yeah. As the fly goes downstream, start pushing your arm out and down. Yeah. And that makes the fly kind of stay in the lane. That's right. Because the fish were essentially, they're forecasting where the fly is going to be in a millisecond. And they were coming up, but my fly had swung out of the field of strike. So that was like one of the many little things that I've learned over the years. It's like, oh, man, that's, that's brilliant. That little trick there is the difference between a great angler and an average angler well, and, and it's so little yeah very little yeah and it's and there's a bunch of this little tiny nuance things that that's what captivates me it's like there's all these little things to learn and you being a steelhead gal you know like certain of these tricks but you know coming from because there are times you don't one. want that swung fly when when you are steelheading you mm-hmm. want to keep it in that lane yeah and it's amazing just how much of a difference by moving that arm even if you hold it with your left or your right hand makes a big difference in how it presents in the water absolutely yeah yeah i can see how it'd be easy to fill the other hundred pages of that book yeah there's all these little things which is fascinating to me i mean i i thought yeah early on i did have a moment that i thought i was like yeah like i wonder how much i'm gonna learn i'm gonna introduce it to people and this is gonna be it but then i start realizing that there's a lot there yeah, yeah. so what about new zealand for example when you in that situation i i'm in the middle of the river a lot of the time or pretty close to i'm i see the fish that i want I get as close behind him as I can, and then I'm trying to present my fly directly in front of him without him seeing my line and have it drift down in front of him. How much distance out of my rod tip can I have? You figure 12 feet or so? Uh, No, more. So if I was fishing, you know, like bigger fish, spooky fish, very clear water, and especially if it's a little bit more open, which is the image I have of some of those streams, I will go longer lines. So, yeah, so like as I mentioned earlier, start with a line about the same length as the rod, but build up from there. So usually, like for example, even here in Colorado, like the Colorado River, or actually let's go a little farther west, like towards Aspen, there's a frying uh, frying pan, for example. And I'll use a a long rod. Uh, My longer rod goes up to 14 and a half feet. At the end of that, I'll use about 20 feet of line, 
and then four feet of tippet. So I'm fishing maybe roughly close to about 30 feet of distance. And you can keep the line entirely off the water. The main casting line is also very thin, so it doesn't cast a lot of shadow. It doesn't kind of put all of that out. And you're fishing literally just with the fly. And if you're trying to fish, like for a very spooky fish, maybe a spring creek and that kind of thing, you're fishing with just the fly and a couple feet of tippet in the water. No other line is touching the water. So the line just stays off. So I'd cast like right in front of the nose, keep the rod tip really high. Line is going to be out there. And that's kind of how you fish for spooky fish. It sounds like it's perfect for spring creeks. You know, it, it can definitely be. So Tenkata really shines in moving water. You know, any place with moving water, because uh, you can have these really good presentations, certainly spring creeks. Um, and actually spring creeks I in that kind of water, I'll probably lengthen my tippet a little bit to about five feet. Yeah. Just giving me a little bit more distance. But yeah, it's just a really good way to present flies uh, in a very natural way, I think. Talk to me about this baby tarpon thing. Yeah. So that was, uh, I wish I, I, I've got to do that one day. I've never caught a tarpon. But uh, that was Kurt Dieter, uh, the editor of Trout Magazine, you know, at Trout Unlimited. He was on a trip to the Guyanas, um, I think it was. And they were, you know, they were catching some really large fish in different places. They were exploring. But at one point, he, uh, they were on a boat with a guide, and it was not a fly fishing guide. They actually learned that the guide that was taking them around had never fly fished before. Oh. And it was like, you know, it was just a local guide. And Kirk happened to have one of our rods, a Tenkata rod, in a boat. And he was like, okay, you got to try fly fishing. And they, I think they had noticed that there was a bunch of small fish, you know, like relatively small fish, uh, baby tarpon. And all of a sudden, he's casting, and the guide starts catching Baby tarpon, like, and when we're talking about baby tarpon, about 20 inches, you know, really good size fish. And he said that uh, Tenkara is the perfect tool for tarpon because when you catch a small tarpon, they become a yo yo. <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> they want to jump. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so Tenkara is perfect for that because you have a fixed length of line and the rod flexes in a Fish jumps, it unflexes a little bit, but the line stays taut the entire time. You don't have to deal with managing line, managing the slack and that kind of thing. So that's, you know, who who did that. And uh, yeah, Kirk and uh, Chris Hunt at TU have done some really cool stuff with the tankata rods. <laughs> Any other species that have kind of blown your socks off? Oh, man. It, yeah, I almost feel like you can Google, you know, tankata in any fish species nowadays and you find a photo. It's like any still, like one of my favorite photos, it might be uh, one, of the, one of the... You know, we have a guide network. I mean, essentially just people that use Tenkata in their guiding, whether they're introducing people to, to Tenkata, uh, teaching them Tenkata, or even just having a rod along for situations like this where somebody maybe has never fly fish, somebody's having a hard time with that. But one of the guides out in South Dakota caught a 29-inch pike. Okay. He saw it. He had one of our rods. He had some metal guards, you know, for the fly. And there's a great photo of that. Uh, so that's pretty fun. Uh, a lot of carp have been caught with tenkara. Bonefish is like, you know, there's been a few small bonefish. That kind of blows my mind. It's like, you know, I'd somebody has see that. taken that. And, uh, I just feel like you'd have to run a marathon to keep up. Yeah, I, I, I'm, a, I'm guessing the big bonefish, you might have to t- throw the rod in the water. Right. <laughs> I have no idea how, you, you know, because for what I know, they're a little freight train. But um, but it's also that thing where they try to run, they can't, and they, they might just kind of come up. So that's my experience with carp. I've caught carp a few times. You know, and they can be little freight trains, you know, the yeah. poor man bonefish. 
but if you have that first run under control, you kind of have them. So now you sell Tenkara rods. There's a whole brand of Tenkara USA rods. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we have six different rods in our lineup. You know, different lengths and a few different features. Um, what, yeah. Why buy one of your rods and not mm-hmm. a traditional Japanese Tenkara rod? Yeah, well, ours are much more accessible. For one, you know, I, I've designed all the rods that we sell myself. Um, you know, some of them with more of the American market in you know in mind uh, in some cases. I'll probably say, you know, we have improved the rods over the years, you know, 10 years of constant improvements on the rods, the Japanese philosophy of Kaizen, as they call it, which is constant improvement. Uh, But customer service, you know, like our customer service team is key. I mean, TJ and John, who are here at the IFTD show, like they take incredible good care of our customers. So a rod breaks. The cool thing, too, about the telescopic rods, if a rod breaks, you don't have to mail anything back to us. We just send you a replacement part. You insert it back in the rod and you're fishing again in a couple day so that's a few other reasons <laughs> it's perfect for backpacking huh it is and actually that's kind of our focus now actually so even when i started the company that was my one of my main interests but what we have done in the last 10 years has really been growing the the fly fishing market you know you always hear like yeah fly fishing is in decline you know not many people are taking it up um that's something i heard a lot 10 years ago especially because I was uh, on the board of directors of a big fly fishing club uh, out in San Francisco. And there was this constant conversation about like, yeah, people are kind of not taking up fly fishing that much. And I looked around and realized that all my friends that I was trying to get into fly fishing, they were backpackers, they were climbers, they were mountain bikers. And fly fishing was one of those things that they didn't think they could add to their sports because they, first of all, they thought that they had to dedicate an entire weekend to go do it. And then they got intimidated by whether it was prices, whether it was all the jargon or whatever it was. So yeah, we kind of came about to say, hey, you can fly fish as well. You can go on a mountain biking trip or you can go backpacking, bring this little tiny rod with you. And if inspiration strikes, if you see a fish rising, you pull it out and you fish. If you don't, keep paddling. Uh, so we've grown the market quite a bit with uh, the backpacking, the mountain biking audience, uh, climbers and so forth. And yeah, because it's perfect for that. Yeah, and for kids too. And for kids too, yeah. It's like the learning how to drive a stick shift versus an right. automatic. A lot of little kids pick up the Tenkata really quickly, which is fun. Actually, uh, yeah, Tom Rosenbauer has his you know, kid and you know, fishing with Tenkata, and a lot of people have it. What does it cost to get set up? Yeah, so you can get a, a rod uh, from 150 to 260 depending on the model, and you don't need much more than that. So if you already have some of the fly fishing equipments, you know, you can get uh, just a line for 14 bucks. that will last you pretty much forever. Uh, and a little spool to hold it, that's 12. So you're looking at 170 to, you know, 280, depending on what you get. All the rods have a lifetime warranty as well, uh, so we can send the replacement parts as needed. But that's it. I mean, I, I was actually having this conversation the other day. You know, like some people go through one new liter packet every trip, you know, because they get tangled and that kind of thing. You're looking at 10 bucks plus some waste. Uh, we don't use that in Tenkata, so... You're saving on a, on a liter about 10 trips in, and you pay off the rod. Do you still get tangles and wind knots? Not much. I mean, you, you get wind knots on a tippet. Uh, so that's really the only thing you're replacing, just the tippet. The, the line doesn't tangle very easily at all, actually. Okay. Well, listen, that was a, a lot. Is there anything that I've missed that you'd like to... No, I mean, I can talk about Tenkata for hours, but uh, we'll, we might have to do a second episode down the road. I think so. I think what I'll do is I'll, I'll try it. I mean, I've done it, but I think if I'll... I'll I'll put in an actual trip on it 
And then we'll sit down and we'll discuss some of the of the advanced techniques. I'd love that. And maybe next time you're in Colorado for IFD or something else, just come join me and fish Boulder Creek with me. That would be do, great. Let's do that. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you would like to add or ask me? No, this is a great conversation. But, you know, mostly I think to add, yeah, you know, keep fly fishing simple. You know, it doesn't have to be this complicated thing, complicated thing especially, you know, sometimes I think people forget that we're doing this for fun. You know, that's the main thing. Just go out, have fun. Whether you call it fly fishing or not, it doesn't really matter. Just go get some fish, spend time outdoors, and that's it. I could not agree with you more. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you, April. It was a delight. And that concludes this episode of Anchored. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life. One of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.